You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Johanna Fagerstedt at Quinix. If we would measure one key KPI that we obsess about, it's to create pipeline. All right, we are back again with a new episode of the SAS Nordic podcast, and we are up to episode 11. So what are we going to hear about today, Daniel? Just like all the other episodes, this one is uh, really exciting, and it's uh, something that I'm really passionate about because I've been fighting this fight for, for many, many years, and it's about how to get marketing and sales alignment in a SaaS company. And we're fortunate to have one of the true experts in the space here, Johanna Fogestad from Quinix with us to talk about how she does it with her peers. Yes, and if you want to engage in more discussion around this and also ask questions directly to Johanna, I suggest that you will join us for the SAS Nordic Breakfast in Clubhouse tomorrow, Friday the 26th of February. So we have the last few weeks uh, arranged um, breakfasts in Clubhouse, the Clubhouse app that is available for you if you have an iPhone. So the first one we did was about fundraising for SaaS companies and then also we did one about customer success. And uh, yeah, we were up to 100 people in those sessions. So um, big success, I would say, and and really, really fun. So if you uh, want to join, you can also reach out to us and we can see if we can help you out. If you have an iPhone, um, join us tomorrow and meet Johanna and talk about how you can align sales and marketing. But what do you say, Daniel? Let's go into the talk. Let's do it. A while ago, I came across an article uh, that listed the top 50 women leaders in SaaS of 2020. And when I scrolled down, uh, someone caught my eye and it was someone from Sweden. It was Johanna Fagerstedt at Quinix. And I'm very happy to present Johanna here as a guest at SaaS Nordic. So hi, Johanna. Hi. Nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to see Swedish people being recognized and successful globally. And I was I was joking with Thomas and asking Thomas here, like, Thomas, what do we need to do to get on these lists? Like, why don't they ever pick pick up the phone and call us? So, how do you actually end up on one of these lists, Johanna? Like, how was, <laughs> what was the process? <laughs> That's a good question. Actually, I was I was surprised as well, but I guess that shows a great traction uh, from our end, and that we managed to, yeah build our brand globally and do some good things, I guess. Yeah, we need to be on a podcast or something so we can <laughs> be known in the industry. Po- yeah. Podcast, Thomas, or, or probably have stronger results in, in the businesses that we represent. Maybe, maybe that's the key. <laughs> Even stronger. I don't know. But, yeah. but, but anyway, Johanna, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? So I'm Johanna Fagerstedt, a B2B SaaS marketing tech leader and strategist. I'm very passionate about growth and scale-up strategies and about making people and businesses grow and become their best selves. Um, I'm originally from Linköping in Sweden, which you might not tell from my accent now since I speak uh, English, but I have some Ochotska in it if we would speak <laughs> Swedish. <laughs> and I've been fortunate enough to live and study and work in multiple countries and love being in an environment that provides different perspectives and cultures and languages and areas of expertise. And that really motivates and inspires me and 
I have a business background. I used to work as a strategy management consultant. But first and foremost, and I guess the big reason for why I'm here today, uh, I've been a part of the really exciting startup journey with Quinix. And that has been a really impressive startup journey. For the people that don't know Quinix, can you tell us a little bit what does Quinix do? Yes. So Quinix is a SaaS um, B2B company, uh, Swedish from start. We're an international startup with close to 300 employees and offices in the Nordics, UK, Germany, the Netherlands, US and Australia. And then we have a development or R&D office in Serbia as well. Okay. And a couple of months ago, we acquired a Dutch AI company as well. Super exciting. So we just welcomed 50 new colleagues and an awesome new technology on board. Whoa, awesome. <laughs> I love how Swedish people are always so, so humble. It's like we're 300 people, we're acquiring companies, we have all kinds of customers, but we are startup. I, I think you guys are past the startup phase. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did I did I say startup? Yeah. I would say scale up. Scale up, definitely. <laughs> but you have been on Queenix two times, right? You were there also 10 years ago or so. And then maybe you were in the startup phase. Yeah, sure. So I joined in 2010 when we were six, seven people. I was there for about a year. And then I went into management consulting and came back over seven years ago now to really help scale the company. So it's been a great journey and still continuing. Yeah. So what problem do you solve for your customers? So I would say if I would go with the big questions, we would say that any given day, we spend about 50% of our waking time at work. And that's around 90,000 hours over a lifetime. And millions of people are working on an hourly basis around the world in sectors like hospitality, logistics, healthcare, and retail, and other service industries. And that that kind of industry is currently employing over 1.5 billion people worldwide. So it's huge. Wow. And those people work uncomfortable hours. They earn minimum wages. They have little say and uh, have little experience and a huge lack of trust and a lack of flexibility. Uh, in those industries is where they need it the most, I'd say. And our founder, Eric Fjellbarg, used to be one of those workers. He used to be flipping burgers at McDonald's, where he saw firsthand how his manager spent all his time on the phone and trying to piece together employee schedules. And that didn't only take a lot of time, it also created a very inflexible solution that didn't cater for the staff's needs or interests. So Eric went ahead and built a system himself that made everything much more efficient and then radically changed how Quinnick's first client and McDonald's and many other companies managed their workforce. He was rather young then, right? Yeah, so at the time he was only 17, so that's uh, super impressive and uh, a great leader to work with. So he's managed to build a company from scratch, from a one-man company to the company we are today and growing. But in short, we provide AI-driven scheduling, time and attendance, employee engagement, and optimization tools for companies with many, uh, with having many extra workers or deskless workers, as we call them, to make sure that they have the right person at the right time, at the right place, performing the right tasks. I think you alluded to that a little bit, like who, who your ideal customer is, uh, besides the... Um, uh, the workers as you defined it that, that don't have permanent contracts and, and all of these things is there a particular definition that you look at these are the ideal companies and businesses that we go after yeah sure and we spent quite a lot of time on defining that really making sure that we are 
uh, aligned, both sales and marketing, but also as, as a company and have that strategy clear. So we are targeting mid-market to enterprise companies, I'd say, in retail, transportation mm -hmm. and logistics, healthcare, restaurants and hospitality, and also facility management. So people who have uh, quite a lot of workers working different shifts uh, and have a big need of really making sure who's who's working when. Um, and the people who then buy our product will be people within HR operations or IT. Would you say that uh, some people allude to a Workforce 2.0, but there's a bunch of companies that are starting with essentially their employees being self-employed, like the Ubers of this world and so on. Have you seen that that's, that's a boost to your business and what you guys do? I'd say to some extent, definitely they can also use our tool. Um, but I would say it wouldn't really make a difference for us uh, when it comes to their business model, whether they would be gig workers or if they're em employed. What we solve is really that key question on having the right person at the right uh, time, at the right place, and also create tools for employee engagement and to optimize that in the best possible way uh, with the help uh, and use of smart AI now. But could you tell us a little bit about uh, you know the size of the company, what uh, ARR are you at and some other numbers that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, sure. So uh, we are, when it comes to the ARR side, close to 300 million sec. Uh, and uh, we have between 850 and 900 customers okay. uh, reaching 300 employees soon. And market-wise, which markets are you sort of focusing on right now? So our core markets are the Nordics, Germany, Benelux, the UK, North America, and Australia. And then we have our customers uh, actually had a look just before this podcast in our um, data analytics set. We have customers operating in 41 countries at the moment. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, really exciting. And what's your growth rate if we look back the, the past few years? So I'd say on average around 40% year over year for the last couple of years. Okay. And what about funding? Could you take us through that as well, um, the founding rounds? Yeah, so in total, uh, we raised around 53 million US dollars in a couple of different rounds. And um, key investors are Albion and Didikson, Swedish, a Swedish company, uh, great investors, and Battery Ventures based in Boston. Okay. Um, and Zobito. It's a small world. I, uh, in the company that I work with right now, Zobito is, uh, is engaged there as well. And they, they were one of the first investors. Good guys. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I think that's why we have some common colleagues, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we, know, <laughs> yeah we know them both. Excellent. So um, thank you for that. And um, today we wanted to talk about, uh, particularly about a couple of topics. One of them being the infamous topic that I think a lot of leaders, particularly where, where I sit in my role, I'm struggling with. And it's it's the alignment between sales and marketing. And I know sometimes marketing feels that, man, there's so big egos in sales and they don't use all the collateral we, we produce and they don't listen to what we say. And sometimes on the sales side, there is like... Um, I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit, but what is this mumbo jumbo that marketing is doing? They need to fill my pipe. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about 
how you have worked to get this alignment. I know you guys have spent quite a bit of energy around this. So it would be interesting to understand well, some of the tips and tricks, how you got the two units to really work together. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And that's that's a topic that I'm really passionate about. And when I, uh, when I joined Quinix, that was actually one thing that we quite quickly decided on that we would work really closely together, sales and marketing. We even call ourselves this marketing team to make sure that we really work closely together. So start how we started was that me and the CRO, Andreas Schalund, uh, joined forces and decided that let's make sure that we are really driving in the same direction, that our goals align, that our teams work closer together, that we make sure to have joint kickoffs, uh, celebrate each other's success, and making sure that the marketing team is definitely part of the revenue team. So that everything we do should be with kind of like the perspective of uh, contributing to our growth and driving pipeline in the end so that we can close sales and reach our targets. Right, right. I think that's a very important piece that you just mentioned there to make sure that one, you're part of the revenue team. It's one team. It's not two different teams and that you have aligned and that you share the KPIs. So from a KPI perspective, what are the main KPIs for your marketing team? What is it that you guys look at? So we have a couple of KPIs, of course, and then we also have a couple of different focus areas. But if we would measure one key KPI that we obsess about, it's to create pipeline. That's where we join forces with sales. Uh, we've tried, we, we started off with trying with leads, had that classic challenge with what's a good lead, uh, whose fault is it if it doesn't convert? <laughs> I'm sure both <laughs> of you have been there. Um, then we moved on to MQLs, uh, over to opportunities, but then found that pipeline is the key factor that really drives revenue. And that's where we can both come from I would say two sides and really connect and say that this is something that we want to generate. And then how we get there, that's down to the strategies. But if we look at our key KPIs, then we we make sure that we have a level of pipeline that we need to ge generate on a monthly and quarterly basis and really make sure to follow close on that to be able to reach our growth goals. Right, right, right. So uh, I like that because it sounds like the focus on, on measuring the KPIs or closer to the pipe and much closer to a closed one deals rather than measuring uh, website traffic or downloads because we don't know exactly how that's going to convert. I, I know that's building into the main pipe and building into the revenue, but it sounds like we're looking at the revenue that we're producing. Yeah, I mean, that would be the key outcome. And then uh, I would also argue that looking at website traffic, downloads, conversions, uh, forms, campaigns, etc., that's super critical uh, for my team in order to know how to navigate and to get that pipeline. But if yeah. we look at the final outcome, that will be the pipeline that we're go going for. And that would go for every team in marketing. So from the digital marketing team to the regional marketing teams working really closely with the sales leaders and the regional sales teams on deals, down to our brand com team and, and um, partner marketing, product marketing, in the end, there are lots of different uh, tactics going on and a huge amount of effort in order to build our brand and build Quinix as, as a company. But in the end, what we really cherish 
is the growth rate. And of course, that that means that we need to have really happy customers in order to be able to grow in the right pace. We need to have happy employees uh, to support the customers. Um, We need to have an awesome product, of course, and a really good product team in order to reach that. So it all comes down to that. But if I as a CMO would look at one metric that I go in and 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 check a couple of couple of times a day I'd say in my dashboard that would be the pipeline development because then I know that we're on the on the right track I like, I like this yeah I guess you have tried a lot of different ways of generating leads online and I'm wondering do you have a story of a specific thing that you tried out you measured and maybe you were surprised of the result it works extra good extra bad or or something like that just um, yes, <laughs> yes and no. I would say it's quite complex. So there's, I would say my key finding is that there is really no silver bullet when it comes to, what do you say, like enterprise B2B SaaS or when it comes to complex sales and complex um, sales uh, and marketing. It's really about finding that um, right, I would say, mix of different uh, initiatives because it's also when you have that long sales cycles, there are so many different touch points that really comes to play in order for a deal to happen. So I wouldn't say it's that silver bullet, but when it comes to digital, you have all the classic parts. You need to be on top of your SEO. You need to have a team that really measure that and make sure to constantly improve and track that. You need to take good care of your paid search, of course, measure all the campaigns that are going on. And then you need great content behind it. You need cool initiatives that stand out on the market. And then you need to constantly try and evaluate. But if I would say one thing that have really worked for us across all market is actually working closely with analysts. Okay, and yeah. And creating good car- uh, content together with them. Uh, and is there like a Gartner quadrants or uh, equivalents for your kind of business? So there's no uh, there's no quadrant for workforce management, but there are uh, workforce management guides that we are featured okay. in. Another thing I, I thought about, uh, if we go back and talk about the sales reps and their process, what kind of content or what kind of help are they asking for the most from you guys? <laughs> that's a that's a really good question. I would say that marketing and uh, design and brand is something that everyone has an opinion about. So for us, it's about sorting that and looking at basically the end outcome. What out of all of this would drive pipeline? And then we have a couple of things that we really need to do. We need to line up on the target group and see how can we make sure to really, really become top of mind on our target group. I'll line up on these to start with. So working with top target accounts, making sure that we are on top of them, visible, uh, doing and tweaking our messaging so that we can make sure to show how we solve their problems and come with a great uh, I mean, we need to drive value for them, right? So that's something that we constantly improve. But I would say we have a very, very close re- relationship with sales. So it's as much for us to get the input from sales as it is for them to ask for help. It's it's yeah. really all about the teamwork. And I would say what really also makes a difference, we have a super skilled BDR team working as kind of like the bridge between sales and marketing. And that BDR team really are the ones who 
look at all the incoming prospects and dialogues, qualify them. Uh, we also use MedPick, which I'm sure that both of you might be familiar yeah. with um, as one of our standard process to unite sales and marketing, which means that we're also really careful when it comes to qualifications, looking at our win rates, etc., looking at our target group. So make sure that all the efforts that we do are in line with our strategy. Johanna, I was also a little bit curious about how you work actively in support the sales reps in active sales cycles. Building pipe is one thing, but once they're in the middle of a sales cycle, how does marketing play a role there? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think to start with, I would say how we've organized the marketing team at Quinix is that we have one central marketing team working a lot with putting the infrastructure in place, working with the digital infrastructure, such as the website, making sure that we have one brand look and feel and sound the same everywhere. And then we also have regional marketing teams working super closely with the sales team. So on a weekly basis, they speak with the the AEs that we call them, um, account executives, to make sure that we target the right accounts, that we have the pipeline that we need. And in those dialogues, we also have a close a cooperation when it comes to ongoing deals. So looking at if there are some key deals, we make sure really to set up events or campaigns that would apply to them. Uh, we could also do account-based marketing or run targeted ads, uh, classic account-based. But that's also when there's a specific deal that we really want to put an extra attention on. It would not be for every deal. And I, I know that sales right. would love us to do that for every single deal, right? <laughs> right, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, they also, yeah, also part of their job to continue nurturing and have that ongoing dialogue. So that would also be when there's some exceptional big deals that we really want to put effort on. Then we could add some budget and set the strategy around that. Yeah. And you also mentioned that there is obviously uh, an endless cycle or loop where the sales team feeds back to you what they need and so on. Uh, does your marketing team, the regional team, attend some of these sales calls and sales meetings to get firsthand information? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a vital part of it. Being a part of the sales dialogues and also always looking and hearing on the feedback from the sales and especially the BDR team as well, since we are very close to those prospect calls. So we want to make sure that our campaigns, our messaging, that it really comes through and we want to get the feedback so that we can quickly test things and pilot things and get that feedback back and then tweak and then uh, analyze and do uh, more of what works and stop doing things that doesn't work. But you need, yeah. you really need to have kind of like that feedback loop between the teams. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great thing being in the room. I think that's a key to success and understanding in between the teams. Yeah, and what we're also doing now is also setting up kind of like that same methodology with uh, product marketing. Because that's another uh, friction, a classic friction area, right? You have sales marketing, which is a bit of a friction. And then you have the product team, <laughs> oh, another area. <laughs> and what we're working really closely and focusing on at the moment is to get those three pieces together. Because I would say that's the final part of the puzzle, to get product marketing into the picture and have all of us working really in the same direction and having yeah. the exact same focus in uh product marketing and in the product team. So we have kind of like that same target group uh, selling and uh, adjusting the product for the same type of audience. 
Yeah, that will be the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing that I'm thinking about when you do, are doing your marketing, do you market towards the buyer or the user? That's a good question. I would say I would say mainly towards the buyer when it comes to my team. Those are the okay. ones making the decisions. But then we have when it comes to to the users, they are super important for us. And it's so crucial that they are happy with the product, of course. But the key interaction for them would be, for example, our mobile app that most of them use on a daily basis to look at their shifts and see when they're scheduled and swap shifts with each other and communicate with each other. Send, uh, we have these employee recognition where they can send peer-to-peer uh, recognition badges to each other, for example. Oh. So that's where you really have that brand interaction. And that's more on, on the product side and product branding side. But when it comes to us, we want to make sure that we're top of mind um, for the buyer. But it could, I mean, the bigger the company gets and the more towards enterprise, the more stakeholders there is, right? So we need to make sure that it's not only one buyer, but kind of like mapping that out, what the landscape looks like. And I'm sure that both of you are familiar with processes like that. Yeah, and you know we we have also you know have had episodes where we talked about product-led growth, and I mean that's the end users and the the usage of the product that actually you know leads to um, to product PQLs, the the product qualified leads. Do you have any such component in your solution today, or are you looking into a similar thing? At the moment, we are we are focusing a lot on like creating that best user experience. We don't work that much with um, in product marketing at the moment, but it's something that we are uh, looking into on our roadmap. It's a super exciting area. SAS Nordic is growing, and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager, and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate, and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. I had another question that's a, a little bit off topic, but still still related. Uh, are you guys replacing existing setup or, or are you bringing in something brand new and then you're selling into first time buyers? I would say we'd be mainly existing setup. Uh, the more, I mean, the more mature the market has become. Uh, if I was say back in 2010 when I joined, it would be uh, looking a lot at uh, competing with Excel spreadsheets. But nowadays, right. there's mostly legacy solutions in place. Yeah, more educating the market back then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I'm happy you answer you answered the question that way because that, now I have a second question actually. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, w- when you are replacing an existing system, legacy or, or a competitor system, my experience is then uh, there is often a discussion about return on investment. I have something, why should I go with you? Like, where's the benefit for me? How do you guys tackle that from a marketing perspective? From a marketing perspective, that's a great question. I mean, that's something that we really look at uh, from, uh, for example, setting up an RI calculator on our website with different variables that our prospects could look into. How much could they save by uh, choosing our solution? 
into the content that we create, but also catching information from our ongoing sales dialogues and constantly mapping out the ROI of our customers. Because it's, of course, in our interest to really understand how much our customers really save on implementing Quinix. So customer um, stories, etc. Share, sharing success stories, classic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, on another note, how has Corona affected the Quinix business and uh, how you work together as well? Oh, that's a good question. So I was actually on maternity leave for a while and came back. Uh, I told you when we spoke last time, I came back in October in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. And we had been working, we'd been super digital before. And when it comes to my team, we are located um, part part of us are based here in Stockholm, but then we also have colleagues in Germany, the UK, US and the Netherlands, uh, and even some colleagues in Australia. Uh, and that means that we are on a constant basis, really using digital tool tools like Zoom, etc. But it was really a different stepping into that complete digital area and started working from home. And I think it was a bit of a... It was more of a shock to me than I thought it would be <laughs> because <laughs> everything yeah. from the culture to the way people interacted and behaviors had really changed when I was away. Uh, and I left in February, came back October. But now I think it's it's definitely so much benefits from it as well. And I would say it has really uh, taken our sales and marketing organization and uh, made us really... Uh, look into how we can excel at digital sales, for example, having efficient mm. meetings and finding ways of connecting online. I would say it's it's the same for, for many companies. Uh, absolutely. And, and how do you think this will, I mean, stay or change how we work past Corona, would you say? Good question. What we've done is really, we really had to take a deep look at our target audience. Um, big part of our users and customers are in the restaurant and hospitality industry and they've been hit pretty hard um, so that's something that we had to look at how can we also adjust our targeting to kind of like downplay the risk bits um, and play it safe while also of course being able to support uh, our prospects and customers in the struggle that they're facing so I think that's something that uh, we'll see about the recovery in that business. Uh, it's, I mean, it's difficult for them. But also I'd see for those, that industry, they've, many of them have really disrupted their business model and found new ways of, of developing their business. It's a good, uh, it's a good question. I think it's, it's definitely a shift. Yeah. And I guess we'll find out what, what will, you know, stay new behaviors that we, that we, you know, will adopt and the new ways of being maybe more efficient when we do certain things, not travel as much, uh, digital networking and other things that I see, you know, it's much easier now to, to get in contact with people through LinkedIn and other places because you are not, you know, exchanging business cards on a big exhibition or, or something like that. Oh, actually, one thing that my colleagues mentioned that I think is, is really true, it used to be when we had like the head office in Stockholm and then we had uh, our, our offices in the other countries, it would be like, there's a quite a lot of things being centered around the head office, lots of dialogues yeah. going on at the coffee machine, <laughs> traditional Swedish fika. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, where you have so many decisions that are not really formalized, but now you mm. need really to to formalize them. You need to bring people on board. You need to have them in writing. So it's more of a democratic process. And I would say that actually people feel more involved than, yeah. than they used to be. 
So I know that you have said that it was a mistake when you went into the UK for the first time and you started with putting a man on the ground there, working from home and uh, instead of building an office and that you said that if you would do it again, you would establish an office with with a team from the beginning. So has that changed now in Corona when we work more uh, remote or is it sort of still how you see it should be done? I would, that's a really good question. I would say it's still the same principle behind it. Going, I'm still for going in big, setting a, a good go to market strategy, making sure to have the right resources to support the market. Because when it comes to Quinix and our business model, the requirements when it comes to sales and what our customers are looking for are very local. So we're still looking at that perspective. And then when they're where they are based under under COVID and the pandemic is not as important. But then we still have that challenge with time zones, etc. So to answer your question shortly, I'd say yes. I still have the same view. It's good to go all in and have a go-to-market strategy. Yeah. Make sure to have the right resources in place um, if you really want to see a boost in that. And then it depends on strategy if you want to be more opportunistic in a market and reduce mm. the risk of course it might be easier uh, in this kind of like new business landscape it's easier because the customers are more used to taking remote contacts you don't need to be in place all the time uh, which can be hard when you're working from home so so that gap in between what you can do from your home and if you had an established office and you need to invite people and you need to have the, the fancy stuff around it that gap has sort of um, is smaller now yeah. and i mean of course having uh, having an actual physical office space uh, at the moment is not important <laughs> 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 right. Um, I think this is a perfect segue to, to the second track of today. We wanted to talk a little bit about the international expansion. And uh, you guys obviously have customers in uh, all over the world these days. And particularly, we're interested in talking about the latest acquisition you guys did. You guys bought recently another business. And I wanted to understand from your perspective what that means for your organization and how you're going to get these two seemingly two different organizations, two different cultures to work together. Yeah, so that's uh, that's a really exciting and fun journey where we uh, had the opportunity to acquire our partner Widgetbrain, a really cool Dutch AI company working. They were working as a partner with us before. So having AI automated scheduling ag algorithms that really, yeah, fits super well with our solution. So we got 50 new colleagues uh, who are based in uh, the Netherlands, Australia and the US uh, joining us in October. So it's been a journey really to establish how we can join our forces in the best possible way. But I think it starts earlier. I mean, if, when, we d when we did the... Um, um, kind of like mergers and acquisition process and the due diligence and also making sure that we, I think it starts from scratch to make sure that we have a good and joint understanding of each other. And it's kind of like a marriage, right? You, <laughs> <laughs> you need to know each other a bit before. Um, 
and have and share the same vision to start with share the same vision and the values and we couldn't have wished for a, for a better partner for us we're super happy to have them on board they had been kind of like that you know cool ai startup that we had been flirting with a bit <laughs> looking at on the market and uh, now we joined forces so we're super happy but i mean it's also um, it is providing some challenges, of course, that we are constantly looking at. But what we did was, if we're looking at it from a more tangible angle, we put together um, an integration team, like we called it, and created a 100-day plan with um, owners from all departments. So when it came to marketing, it was me and then it was the marketing manager from Widgetbrain formed a team and looked at how can we from a marketing perspective really join forces then we did the same at sales and um, HR operations all the different departments so we kind of like teamed up two and two and put the plan together in place and then we had a, a project manager to run it with a clear roadmap and then said that within 100 days we're gonna we're gonna get this migration done and really have a shared vision and then we started looking at it like down to every single detail um, and made sure to update the company um, addressed it on the all hands um, yeah we constantly had an eye on it and and reviewed the process and uh, on Sorry. Monday, we're launching the joint offering, 1st of February. Okay. So when this is being sent, I don't know when they'll be, uh, check out their website. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's keep an eye on it. Uh, I was wondering, the 100 days, are they done now? We're actually a bit ahead of schedule. So it's going to be within okay. 100 days. Yes. Within 100 days. Fantastic. I'm fascinated. I think that's a really interesting approach to have a project lead owning this 100-day integration plan. Now that you guys have gone through this exercise, what would you say is the main criteria to have a successful uh, launch, so to say? What are the main milestones? Well, I think it was a key, for us, it was a key success factor to have a project manager driving it and to see it as an important project that we would need to focus on and really join forces on making that succeed. Not thinking that it would just work out by itself magically, but have setting it up as a project. So have a kickoff meeting, have clear milestones along the way, have clear ownership for every work stream or track. So we looked at, so what does the product work stream look like? What do we need to do? in order to make these two companies merge successfully or become Quinix. The branding side, what does that look like? What branding strategy will we have? Communication-wise, what do we need to do? And even PR side, what PR efforts do we need to do to make a noise on the market? And digital, um, also looking into the inventory of all the assets that we had. What, what do we see a need of really transferring over in a good way? Uh, the sales side of things, sales presentations that needs to be updated, basically making sure to keep track of every single detail in this and then put an owner on it and the deadline. <laughs> so classic, uh, I would say the key thing would be to pay attention to it and have a plan around it. Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, this is, of course, a, a big thing for you and, and also a big thing for your customers and potentially partners. So how do you communicate this out to, to them? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's a really interesting question as well, because uh, Widgetbrain um, that we acquired also have been working with our competitors. Uh, so we were working, they had 
a really cool feature for AI optimization that you can then through an API insert basically to another workforce management vendor. So we we needed to be super careful with those companies uh, to make to make them feel safe, of course, and also have that good uh, transition and show um, the plan for it. So basically setting up all the, um, make them feel safe and make sure that we have the control over the data and everything. But it's been, uh, I mean, it's been a lot of communication. We started off with looking at what, who are the key stakeholders, mapping those. And then uh, before doing the PR outreach and going official, we actually reached out to many of them to say that, hey, this, this is something that will go on so that you know, let's take a personal meeting if you have any questions. And then followed up with clear communication on what's going to happen. We produced a website about it, uh, had internal FAQs so that all of the employees would know what's going on and would be able to answer that. Uh, we secured who the spokesperson would be from Quinix side and from Widgetbrain side to answer questions, etc. So yeah, made a communication plan around it. <laughs> Excellent. You guys have lots of projects going on. So what is keeping you up at night? <laughs> I would say my kids. <laughs> <laughs> my one-year-old. Uh, other than that, at the moment, I... Uh, I mean, I feel super motivated and I think that having been through a year like this with a pandemic, there's also so many opportunities uh, opening up, especially for tech companies. We've been quite fortunate to be able to um, potentially being in, I mean, be fortunate to be in the right spot at the right time where tech and digital solutions become even more important. And with, with our uh, digital business model and in in the markets we're in, it's it's also seems like it's going in the right direction with the vaccine and and mm. everything. So yeah. I wouldn't say, but yeah, I feel yeah, sleep pretty well at night. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds nice. Sounds nice. Uh, what does the future look like for Quinix? What's ahead? So at the moment, we're focusing a lot on, of course, this new value offer, bringing AI on board, which is something that uh, creates a lot of energy in the team. Except for that, focusing on our on our big growth markets, we have a team in the US, huge market, of course, and Germany, another huge market, Netherlands and the UK. So continuing making sure that we have an awesome product that fits those markets and supporting our teams and uh, and most importantly, making sure that our customers and employees are happy, of course. And is there something that you are looking for right now, either you personally or you as a company? So this is your chance to sort of... Yeah, well, we're looking for a great visual designer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if there are any visual designers out there, come and uh, apply for a job. Um, other than that, I'm hoping that the vaccine is going to, I mean, is going to be rolled out as soon as possible that we can start opening up. And we are so much looking forward to meet each other. I mean, we have now 50 new colleagues that we haven't met in person. We haven't been able yeah. to travel. We haven't been able to go to each other's offices or meet in person. So I think that's something that I'm really much looking forward to. We did a poll this morning in the company meeting where everyone got to write words about what they wanted the most. Can you guess what was the most popular word? It was very close, but it was uh, one. Travel. Um, hugs. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hoping for hugs. You can never have uh, too many hugs in, in your life here. 
speaking about hugs and people we appreciate, uh, we wanted to ask you also, who would you like to see as a guest on the show here next? Uh, I have, yeah, it's one person that I'm a personal fan of, a super cool uh, marketeer and leader, which I think she's not as famous in Sweden as she should be. <laughs> she's called Susanne Rundqvist Amadi, and she's the VP International Marketing at HubSpot. And HubSpot is one of the most successful B2B um, SaaS uh, marketing companies in the world. And she is actually, uh, as far as I know, the only Swede being employed there. And she is the VP International Marketing for HubSpot. Super cool. And she's based here in Stockholm. So Speak with her. We'd love to speak to her. And I mean, this has been a great discussion, a lot of good learnings, but also great fun. So really nice having you on the show, Johanna, and I hope we can stay in contact. Best of success now. Thank you. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. So right, Daniel, now we got to talk about a lot of the things that you have faced in your daily work. So uh, what are your takeaways for from this episode? That's right. That's right. And I love how uh, she puts it very clear in the in some of her opening statements. It's yes, we may have a marketing team, we may have a sales team. But she looks at it as a revenue team. There is one revenue team. And I also the big statement that uh, I'm taking with me is how they measure their success primarily by building pipe. Those are the two big takeaways for me and, and the statements that that reinforce that there is a future for marketing. Yeah. What about you, Thomas? Well, one thing also that ties into that, having the same goals, is also to celebrate each other's wins, to do that as one team. Uh, and also that marketing could be engaged in customer meetings, in when you are facing the prospects and the customers also to, to be working more closely together. So that was some of the things that I thought uh, was interesting in this discussion but if you have any other takeaways or maybe things that we missed in this interview i suggest that you will come to the sas nordic breakfast tomorrow when we're going to meet johanna and we are going to invite other sales and marketing leaders from the nordics also so we will have a great conversation and we hope to see you there and don't forget to follow us on linkedin and um, you can subscribe to the podcast in spotify or acast or Apple Podcast or wherever you found us this time. So um, see you around and uh, tomorrow we'll be back with a new podcast in two weeks. Bye.